into Pro Bono Perspectives live from Brooklyn, where the city never sleeps and purpose is more than just a buzzword. Pro Bono Perspective brings together leaders that have traveled across sectors, industries, and experiences on their path to creating change for the communities in which they live and work. And I'm your host, Danielle Holly, CEO of Common Impact, a national nonprofit that designs skills-based volunteer programs that amplify the impact of social change organizations by harnessing the talents and skills of private sector employees. I am lucky enough to cross paths with these leaders every day through my work with Common Impact and can't wait to bring you behind the scenes to share their stories. Hi everyone, this is Danielle and I am excited to be joined here today in the studio by Robert Lee, co-founder and CEO of Rescuing Leftover Cuisine for a very special Thanksgiving week episode. Rescuing Leftover Cuisine is a national nonprofit that targets both the prevention of quality food waste and putting an end to hunger. In the U.S. alone, 40% of food gets tossed every year and on average, 1,100 pounds of food are lost to the garbage pail by an American family of four. I've read that stat a couple of times and it's just remarkable to me. This amounts to about $162 billion in waste annually, which could serve over $58 billion in meals. As a child of Korean immigrant parents who once struggled to provide food security to their family, Robert learned the importance of food waste prevention really early on in life. And upon graduation from NYU Stern School of Business, Robert joined J.P. Morgan while working part-time on launching Rescuing Leftover Cuisine. He left J.P. Morgan in 2014 to run the organization full-time using some seed money that he and his co-founder had won at a venture competition during their senior year at NYU as well as corporate donations from his former employee. Welcome, Robert, to the podcast. We're so thrilled to have you join us for this Thanksgiving special. Thanks for having me, yeah. So let's start off with the beginning. What motivated you to start Rescuing Leftover Cuisine? Sure, yeah. I mean, there were a ton of things that um, motivated me to basically start this and then do this full time. But um, to be honest, it started with the cause, um, the fact that there's just so much food and, and you know, you summarize it really well. It's just so much food going to waste and I don't think people really think about where all that food is coming from you know mm-hmm. the fact that it's not just obviously a moral issue of having you know all that food go to waste when people are hungry but also the fact that there's you know like environmental issues uh, moral other moral issues and economic impact of the food going to waste it just uh, kind of drove me insane Right. And um, I had to do something about it. Obviously, my, my kind of personal background played into the fact that, you know, these issues bothered me a lot more than <laughs> probably mm-hmm. others. Um, but um, yeah, I find it really heartening to find that a lot of people share the same anger towards, you know, food waste and, and the fact that it can be used to, you know, feed the hungry. How do you think we got here in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean... Almost half of our food goes to waste. It's crazy, yeah. It's, it's funny because it, it obviously never, you know, it wasn't always this way. Um, I think, you know, after I've, I've I mean, done a lot of research, and I mean, it seems like during World War II, there were a lot of, you know, national and uh, kind of governmental uh, pushes towards conserving food and making sure we're not wasting food. And, you know, just using all the resources we have to ensure that we're 
you know, uh, being as efficient as possible. Um, but I think after that, um, I think there was a basically just a lot of abundance, a lot of, um, you know, I think the, the rise uh, economically, I think people started to forget where food really came from and what food really meant. Um, just a convenience factor and the fact that, you know, we just, just get it done and, and move on with our day and, and, and you know, really think of right. it as something like a chore to really do and get done um, contributed to the fact that, um, you know, it's just easier to throw out food than to figure out where to bring it, um, you know, to, to feed someone. So I think, I mean, that plays into it a lot. But, um, you know, at, at some point, uh, you know, I think more and more people kind of got disconnected from where food is coming from in terms of like, even the natural resources we spend, like half the U.S. land, 80% of fresh water, you know, going into creating our food and then the fact that we're wasting 40% of it is just insane. But I think we just get further and further away from it as we, you know, uh, kind of move further into urban you know, environments and right. communities. Um, and I think there's more of a movement now to kind of, you know, reconnect our youth and, and our people back to where our food is coming from and kind of showing people how, uh, it's grown and that kind of stuff, but um, but yeah, I think all of those factors kind of played into where we are today and now with 40% of food going to waste. It's just remarkable. And when I think about it from an individual perspective and as someone who, when I read these statistics, I can never believe them and it makes me yeah. so upset every time. But when I go to restaurants, I never finish my plate, right? I mean, there's always 200% more than what I could. so much important sizes. Right. Um, And that, I think, connects to what you were saying. It's just the the modern conveniences of life right now. Same reason we have so much plastic in our ocean. We don't um, don't think about, and in some ways, society and the mass markets put more food within plastics in our hands um, and it works for it it works for modern life so I mean how do you think we get away from that yeah I mean there's I think there's so many things we have to do but um, the first and foremost thing I think that we can start with is kind of creating this um, loop to kind of make the circular economy in in a way Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of having um, a process of taking that excess food at the end of the night from different food business partners and bringing it to people who need it at homeless shelters and kitchen food pantries um, that are running out of food every night, that, that need more food. Um, and essentially closing that gap, closing that loop, and making it really easy for people to participate. Um, I think, you know, uh, eventually, I hope that, you know, we get closer and closer to um, you know, having food donation be the standard and whether that means uh, a legislative thing or, you know, a mandated thing or, or just participatory, I think um, that will be the future in terms of having, you know, um, our cities. I think just recently Austin um, just passed a law that mandates that all of their food businesses have to either compost or donate their food. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that really is the future. And, and you know, I think people will start to realize that, you know, consumers like us care about where their excess food is going. Um, And, um, you know, uh, more and more pressure will be building on food businesses to participate in food rescue program and composting programs and that kind of stuff. But 
Um, I do think that all of that has to happen with uh, all of us individuals showing food businesses that we care about the issue of food waste, that we care about where the food, uh, our, you know, our food, their food, our excess food is going, uh, and closing that gap, closing that loop. So, um, yeah, I think all that has to happen. Well, and as someone who has felt this issue personally, yeah. I think the idea of having felt, you don't know where your next meal is coming yeah. from, that I I can't imagine that. And I imagine that sticks with you, right? For and sure. it makes it a, it's not just a, a seasonal issue. You know, this time of year, I think a lot of people are sitting down with their families over holiday meals and there's an abundance of food and they're thinking about the folks that aren't, don't have that privilege. Right. But and one of the things that we were talking about before, before we hit record, is uh, there are issues that have a time of year, right? Um, and disaster relief is one of them. One of the things Common Impact is working on right now is disaster relief. And we find that it, during hurricane season, a lot of folks are excited to think about how do we invest and then it, it can be challenging to draw attention to something in the same way when there's not a natural rhythm. So how do we, for food security and food waste, move past that? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a funny thing. I think, you know, it's just when it's not top of mind, when it's not in front of you, I think it's hard to really think about, uh, especially when, you're, when you haven't, you know, gone through it and, and that kind of stuff. And I think... Um, it's understandable, but at the same time, I think the more we make uh, intentional actions towards uh, making a difference and also just inserting ourselves into uh, that kind of closed loop kind of system, um, it, it basically allows you to keep thinking about it rather than thinking about it just on a you know, seasonal basis when it gets cold or when, it get, you know, when you're thinking about um, food and that kind of thing. Um, so even with Rescue My Cuisine, we basically, um, you know, employ a model where we have volunteers that are crucial to the model. And basically the volunteers are the ones doing all the transportation, picking up the food and dropping it off in the homeless shelters and soup kitchens that we work with. And by doing that year round, every day of the year, people basically can see the issues of food waste. They can actually see how much food is going to waste at restaurants and they can actually see the lines of people and sometimes people being sent away at the human services agencies we partner with and work with. So um, it's it's really about uh, creating a process or an action that you're able to do on a weekly or recurring basis um, that allows you to see and, and stay in tune with uh, the causes you care about. So describe that the work sure. to our listeners because when I first heard about it, yeah. of course, this is so simple and brilliant. Of course, this needs to be happening. Um, and I, you have built volunteerism and service into your model. So tell us exactly yeah. how it works. Yeah. So, I mean, we got started five years ago to specifically target a gap um, in the food rescue space that was um, basically not being uh, met by existing food rescue organizations. And we wanted to um, kind of target that niche area where smaller amounts of food uh, donations just didn't have a place to go. Um, and so we targeted everything between zero to 150 pounds of food and uh, created a model where we can make it super easy for our food donor partners, our food businesses like restaurants and cafes and cafeterias within companies too, 
to donate their food on a recurring basis. They can literally just turn it on uh, every night whenever they close. They just you know tell us where where and when to be, and we'll just be there. Wow. Um, and we essentially basically take that to our volunteer base using kind of a technology-based solution put it on Ruby and Rails that allows for us to automate much of the logistics behind getting volunteers to those locations at those times. Um, and then that's it. It's just um, kind of matching the right food or the right human services agencies that need that specific type of food at that specific time of day and that kind of thing. Um, and, um, and, and that's it. It's a recurring process uh, so that people can, you know, the human services agencies can comfortably rely on that food, replace that uh, in their food budget to use that money for something else more long term um, and then the volunteers can build it into their routines build it into their lives uh, and the restaurants also just automatically do it uh, as part of their process now um, and so um, that's how it logistically all works and I imagine in the process of the restaurants telling you okay here's the food here's the amount when to pick up they are learning that's from right. that process how much food they need to purchase yes. in order to serve their yes. average customer base. Yes. And that's huge. And, and, you know, every time I think about the statistics and just, just the pure math of the problems, uh, I always think about how if you just take one third of the food that's going to waste and bring it to people who are food insecure, that's, a, that's enough nutrition to eliminate food insecurity. Um, obviously, you know, food insecurity is a hugely, you know, multifaceted issue and it's not just about nutrition, but just a pure just thinking about how much food that is is just insane but then the question always remains what do you do with the rest of the two-thirds of food that's still going to waste um, and so I always think like you have to reduce it on source um, and uh, that's what our data that's what our process allows food donors to do um, because you know when you're not measuring something you don't really have control over it and you don't really care about it but the fact that we measure it every single day and number of pounds and provide that on a monthly basis to our food donor partners allows them to basically see patterns. So let's say every Friday or you know different different days of the right. week where they see a ton of food being donated that they didn't you know realize before, they're able to actually take action and reduce some of that on hand. Um, and so that to me is all, is just as important um, as taking that excess. Uh, and bring it to the people who need it because if we can if we can reduce it on source that is huge that's just you know a ton of um, greenhouse conditions all that stuff that mm -hmm. we need to prevent from the very very beginning would that mean not growing it or would it mean not buying it um, I mean both to be honest yeah. I think it's you know the restaurant doesn't have to buy it from the supplier it's then just moves up the whole supply mm -hmm. chain um, and then you know same deal about the whole buying situation as well right yeah right so I want to talk about you for a little bit sure. and what inspired you to leave your job at JP Morgan yeah. and you were doing this on the side yes. right um, and I imagine your experience at JP Morgan was that it was a very comfortable structured job right and this is at least in the beginning <laughs> couldn't have been yes. uh, what what inspired you to make that leap and uh, you know I, in the context a lot of our listeners are individuals who are thinking about what's next for them and what social enterprises to start and and when to make those decisions yeah it was I mean the transition was hard I mean yeah. it was uh, definitely uh, you know a, a long 
kind of process in terms of just planning and thinking it through and <laughs> that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I mean, my even in college, even when I was uh, majoring in finance and accounting, my long term plan was always um, to kind of give back and create a nonprofit or social enterprise or or for profit that had some kind of component social elements in it. Um, but my plan had always been to basically get experience, learn, build a network, build a foundation of, of finances, and then do something and, and take that risk. Um, but the opportunity just really kind of presented itself with Rice Canada Cuisine. And um, honestly, I had to like prepare a lot. I had to project my savings. I had to you know, like plan for you know, everything in terms of just making it work in the real world. I think the like the, the problems of uh, food waste and, and hunger obviously were really personal to me, but um, the the fact that such an elegant and, and simple solution could be scaled up um, right. and, and have such an impact uh, was really appealing, and um, we to grow something. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and and to have an impact. I, I just always was comparing like one hour of work at JP Morgan versus one hour of work at Restaurant Cuisine. And not that I was not having an impact with Jim Morgan, it's just just the, the comparison was just so outsized in terms of how many people we can impact and, and help uh, at the same time as just the, the pure kind of just future um, you know possibility of what rescue cuisine could be uh, if we could uh, you know scale it in the right way. So um, you know that was really appealing to me. Um, and then obviously just making sure that we can actually, you know, actually tangibly do this, um, you know, financially and uh, on a kind of realistic basis. Um, we had to plan a lot about how specifically we would get funding and uh, operate. And at the very beginning, we actually didn't have a revenue stream um, like we do right now. We sort of, we offered our services for free, um, so that was very difficult. But um, you know, I think going full-time forced us to think about how to make it integrated and how to really capture some of the value mm-hmm. that we were providing to our food donor partners. So, yeah, all those all those considerations. But What did you learn in the first year? Oh, God. Um, I learned that I, I didn't learn as much as I thought I did in school. <laughs> um, it was just so many things that uh, I learned just on the job in terms of just um, – how to start an actual organization and uh, what are the processes you need to build to make it more of a foundation rather than just like getting things done. Right. Uh, because you really can't scale if you're just doing, if you're solving the same problem every single day. What do you think is next for rescuing leftover cuisine? More of the good work that you're doing now, or are there yeah, things that you're adding? I'm I'm very excited for the future of rescuing cuisine just because. We've just done so much over the past five years, and this is actually our five-year anniversary now. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy because we, we remember celebrating our first million just you know, at our three-year mark, and then now we've, we've done triple that in just two years. Goodness. So, um, you know, we're, we're growing really rapidly, and I think, you know, in terms of, the, you know, what's next for RLC, it's really just continuing to scale and continuing to... Uh, impact more within the areas that we're already in. So we currently operate in 16 cities, um, but um, we can do more in the 16 cities we're in. And even in New York City, we're in all five boroughs now, uh, but there's so much need in kind of the eastern portions of New York and in the northern areas. And so 
as we expand outwards, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to really make more and more of a difference uh, in, in areas that are more and more in need. Outside of rescuing leftover cuisine, clearly you are service and volunteerism oriented, built it into the day-to-day of RLC's model. What does service mean to you and uh, how do you personally realize that? Yeah, I mean, service, I, I, I've always been um, kind of just involved in a lot of different uh, kind of service projects since I was in high school when, when everyone was forced to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it just, um, I think, honestly, service uh, doesn't have to be a allocated chunk of time for like four or five hours where you give you know, your time to like a soup kitchen or, or that kind of thing. My perspective has always been, and, and this same philosophy kind of applied to Rescue and Cuisine, is that, you know, every small bit counts. And 30 minutes of your time after work, along your way home, picking up excess food and bringing it to a homeless shelter is just huge. I mean, it's, it's not about the amount of time, it's not about, it, about that kind of, you know, um, uh, allocation. It's more about, in my opinion, just what you can intentionally do with the time that you have. Right. Um, and, and service to me is is just doing as much as you can. And this is, I think opportunities present themselves to us all the time and we don't really see it. Like just helping someone on the subway, carrying, you know, carry a, a baby carriage up the stairs or, or that kind of thing. I think, you know, people don't really kind of even jump at the opportunity to do that. Um, and um, service to me is, is just doing that right yeah. to look up from your phone yeah exactly and to and see who needs support exactly, around you exactly and I, I feel like I see that all the time in terms of like you know a pregnant woman comes on the subway and just like everyone's on their phones they don't even notice they don't even right. see the opportunity and I think if they did they would and, and sometimes like after a stop or two someone does look up and they're like oh my god like, right and they do it and they but do it just, when they when they exactly. recognize it it's yeah. funny that you mentioned that I was pregnant last year and riding the subway every morning I think once during that experience someone got up for me and once. there were moments where once. my very pregnant belly was basically <laughs> hanging over people <laughs> and uh, it's not that they noticed yeah, and didn't yeah, want to yeah, support yeah, yeah. and get up for me it's, exactly. it's that they weren't noticing yeah they were just I mean I think I mean I don't know if it's just New York but I just feel like it's just people are just you know like very focused on on you know Well, one of the themes uh, from the conversations that I've had on this podcast so far, because everyone that has joined me in conversation seems to have figured out how to find the time, right? And when something is, as it sounds like services to you, just an ingrained part of how you think of yourself and what you do, that... It, it's no longer hard to find the time. Right. It's just what you do, right? right? Exactly. Um, and so figuring out how to, for folks that aspire to have service or whatever it is as yeah. part of their day-to-day, figuring out how to just integrate it into, yeah. this is who I am. Yeah. You know? And honestly, I mean, like, I would not have, like, been involved with Rescuing Left Cuisine if I hadn't um, even just tried out things or, like, just given my time because, like, I, I was just always focused on just finance and accounting and like that whole thing right. around. And in college, I came across a club that brought leftover, leftover food uh, from dining halls to homeless shelters. And that's how I really got, you know, into this space. And it was more of a gradual thing. And I think people kind of always ask me, like, how did you, you know, fall into this space? How did you end up doing this? 
And when I think back to it, it's always just a gradual thing. It's just something that you get involved in that you just you know keep solving problems for, and you realize there are bigger problems you want to solve, and you keep solving those, and it just gets bigger and bigger. Um, and I think you know sometimes some people come to me and, and they're struggling with their jobs and that kind of thing, and you know I think what is really important is really just getting the exposure and going out there and just volunteering or, or just getting exposure to the thing that you're even remotely small in a small way interested in and uh, trying it out so that as it becomes bigger, it becomes more feasible for right. you to do this as a, as a full-time thing. I think that's so important because to what we were talking about earlier, what I see is that most people have such strong intentions and want to mm-hmm. give back exactly. and can't figure out an access point, right? Exactly. How to start doing that. And volunteerism service pro bono right. is a, such a strong access point to yeah. test yes. out, right? Exactly. What puts a fire in your belly? Right. What really makes you angry right. when you read right. about the situations right. that people are tackling? Um, so I think it's just remarkable that you figured out how to build that in en masse to your model. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the best part of your day? Oh man, I think there's there's a lot of good parts of the day. Um, just because I mean we, we we like recently just got this um, like thank you letter that was like scribbled all over and in all different places, mm-hmm. um, and it was just like like crazy things like someone wrote like I was hungry before thank you and it was like yeah you know, oh, just wow. so heartwarming. But um, I would say I mean just on a typical day to be honest the best part of the day is just uh, at the end when I reflect back on kind of impact that you know you're able to make um, and I, I just think back about you know how we did this and uh, it makes me feel obviously really you know impactful and feel right. really good but um, uh, it feels it makes me feel more excited for the next day so that I can continue to do it and, and grow, it more, grow it more so that we can have more impact so I'd say that's end of the day well it's really inspiring work and i so appreciate you taking a couple minutes uh, more than a couple minutes of your day (laughs) to be with me here and share a little bit about your story and your model with our listeners if folks want to learn more about rescuing leftover cuisine what should they do best way is to uh, sign up to volunteer or donate or just find out more about us on rescuingleftovercuisine.org on our website and um, everything is there Fabulous. All right. Well, the floodgates will open. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Pro Bono Perspectives today. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out our website at www.commonimpact.org. Leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues about us. Tune into our upcoming episodes to hear from everyday leaders using their skills to help their communities.